We are back with the master of foreshadowing and an artist of the twist, Rolled Doll, The Way Up to Heaven. Let's talk about what makes this such a popular assignment for students today. Coming up. It is so hard to see dolls' endings coming. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Uno. And I'm on my way to heaven, Crypto. If you are new to the Codex Cantino, we are going through some of the most important literature that has influenced even today's text. If you're down for a conversational approach to literature, hit that subscribe button to join us on the journey. And as always, we start off with publication information. The Way Up to Heaven by Roald Dahl was published in February 1954 in The New Yorker, and we'll leave links down in the description below where you can read and listen for free. Roald Dahl, an author most popular for his children's lit... This is a guy that has written some really interesting short stories that even got picked up for like this British TV series called Tales of the Unexpected. Which a lot of them are on YouTube, and this is not really children-friendly. It's more on the darker tone, but some really good gritty stuff here. And I swear, the first time most people read this, like with no expectations, let's say you knew nothing about this, you'll get to the end and you're going to be like, wait, what? (laughs) Uh, No, let's redo that again, please. She didn't. She, she did? She, what? Wait, what? Like, you're going to be caught by so much surprise. And really, there's even going to be more joy, I think, in my opinion, the second time you read through this, because the language doll uses in the symbols lead you to this moment and it's just so subtly crafted yeah he's definitely the master of his craft on writing but i love how it kind of moves through the story and you don't realize what has happened until the very end and i'm excited to get into the plot because this is one where if you're so used to you know the flip If you can just go back, you know, to suspend belief, like how it was before the sixth sense, then you can really enjoy the ending of him pulling the rug out underneath you and you're just dumbfounded like, whoa, because I immediately messaged Una and I was like, uh, (laughs) no more elevators. I'm taking the stairs forever. (laughs) All right. So for plot, it opens up where we're learning about Mrs. Foster and she is terrified of being late. Mrs. Foster is traveling alone to France. She wants to see her daughter and her three grandchildren. And her husband plays upon her fears by moving slowly and always arriving late. They hurry out the door as Mrs. Foster's anxiety skyrockets as they hit a terrible fog. They arrive to the airport late but safe on their travels. And instead of waiting around for his wife with the delayed plane that that she was waiting for, they take off. Just leave her at the airport to stay there all day. <laughs> and uh, dark humor, dark humor, dark humor. Eventually, Mrs. Foster finds out that her plane is canceled. Has to return home. Oh no, honey, I'll I'll take a cab home. Comes back, you know, the help's all gone because he's too cheap. Got to let them go while they're on their six week break here. And they decide, okay, we're gonna wake up early tomorrow. You know, and we're going to go to the airport. So that way you have plenty of time, honey. Oh, by the way, you're going to drop me off at the club first. What, what, wait, what? The club's in the opposite direction. <laughs> you get a pretty good idea what type of person Mr. Foster is, right? He's kind of a jerk, but I don't know if he deserves what he gets for being a jerk. Well, and the narrator even describes Mr. Foster as like... Like, is he really playing on this fear of hers? Is he doing it on purpose? And even in that car ride in the fog, like he's like looking at our eye. Like, <laughs> So anyways, the next day they prepare to leave for the airport. And he's like, hey, you got to drop me off first. You know, that whole tobacco, that whole fiasco. He's like, oh, I forgot a present that I was going to have you give to our daughter. 
And Mrs. Foster's like, that stupid comb, you always give her those dumb things. She's like, he's like, hey, now, comb's cool. <laughs> he goes back inside, right? And she's freaking out that she's going to be late again. She can't believe this. And that's when she sees a little package in between the seat cushions. And she realizes that she already has it in the car. So she tells the driver to go get him. He doesn't have a key. So she walks up to the door, but stops and listens and listens and then turns and says, all right, driver, we got to go to the airport. Screw him. <laughs> he'll, he'll learn. He'll figure it out. He'll get his own way to the club. I got to get to the airport. So she goes to the airport, spends six lovely weeks with her grandchildren and her daughter in Paris and uh, has a feeling that she, she'll be back soon. She's not too sad when she leaves. She gets back. There's nobody waiting for her at the airport, strangely enough, you know, even though she had written every week, like she said she would, and she knew that her husband was much too busy to, to be bothered with writing her. She comes home, goes into the office, calls the, uh, the lift or elevator repairman to come fix the elevator that's stuck between the second and third floor. End plot. Like knife in and twist. And this is where I think a lot of people are like, wait, 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 what, 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 what? like, is, is he in the elevator? Yup. Yup. <laughs> he was in did the she, elevator. Did she, or is it an accident or did she? Yeah. Let's talk about that today. So first of all, let's talk about this relationship before getting into some of those dirty, dirty details. There's a power imbalance, right? Everything revolves around Mr. Foster, even the help are are literally helpless. <laughs> ah, good pun there. Everybody kind of has to come to him, right? They sit there and wait for him to come down. They would they don't dare rush him and poppycock to anyone that tries to change Mr. Foster's routine. And then you know they're in the car and you'll notice there's like these little subtle things even when they're in the airport and like you know he's taking off in the car. He sits in the car and rather than get out and hug her or kiss her goodbye, she leans to him to kiss him goodbye in the same way that the help comes to him on what to do and everything. This is a world that revolves around Mr. Foster. Yeah. We can see this power imbalance between them as, you know, she gets home. She doesn't want to inconvenience him, you know, with, with what she's done. Not comfortable at an airport, right? So she just comes home, you know, falls down exhausted and and doesn't want to, you know, be a burden on him. The only thing she can do is twitch her little eye when she's running late and there's that part, like we talked about earlier, that he's looking for that twitch. And I don't know if that's evidence enough for me to be like, he's definitely doing it on purpose. It could just be he realized that they were running late and he was looking for the twitch to see if she was upset. But it was certainly written in a way that makes you kind of assume that he was possibly possibly doing it on purpose and possibly getting enjoyment out of watching his wife squirm. I think this is where Dahl is using some of those subtle nuances, a little foreshadowing here, and it, it leaves you with that what if questioning in your brain because you do that through the entire story right and even up to the the end of the story you're like wait did she or didn't she is the husband doing this on purpose nor isn't he and and he's making you question yourself through the whole story and that's done on purpose so you never know which direction he's going with it well doll's language is super precise he says it was nothing much just a tiny vellicating muscle in the corner of the left eye like a secret wink and boom, there is Doll, like always, giving you these subtle hints that the twitch of her eye is a secret wink. And in this story, it is going to be used to tell her secret by the end. And pay attention to the word choice, because there's even things about the mouth in this, too. 
The mouth was what counted. She wished, as she had so often before, that she could see the mouth clearly. The eyes never showed anything except when he was in a rage. So here, once again, Dahl is giving you a hint that the mouth is going to be a representative of the truth in the story, right? That's where she has to look to find the answers. And the eye is going to be misleading because it's the secret wink. Dahl is very precise with his word choice here. So that kind of brings me back to the idea, Did is he doing this on purpose? Is he deliberately torturing his own wife because it gives him that power over her, and that's why she retaliates, or it gives us the idea that she's going to retaliate by murdering him? Well, if he's aware, he's pretty evil, torturing his wife like this, right? If he's unaware then he's unattentive and not a good, caring husband as well. I don't know if there's an answer here that could make us feel sorrow for the husband at this point in time. I mean, nobody, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think anyone deserves to die, but this is fiction, right? This is meant to be fun. And this is a character that we're meant to want to see punished because he is causing harm intended or not upon his wife. Yeah, I guess it's just, Dahl goes to the extreme here of that the punishment does not fit the crime and that's what's so ghastly about it and gives you that <gasps> at the end of the story. You're like, wow, she went full-blown crazy. Well, I think we had a lot of subtle hints that this was coming. So Dahl leaves all of these quotes about what's going to be happening. And when she's getting ready to leave Paris, right, you'd think she, she was so looking forward to this. You'd think she wouldn't want to leave right? This was, you know, she stares adoringly at her pictures. She's wanting to move there, but her husband won't let her. And then we have these quotes. Surprisingly, she didn't seem to mind as much as one might have expected. And when she kissed them all goodbye, there was something in her manner and in the things she said that appeared to hint at the possibility of a return in the not so distant future. And again, this is right after she just got done saying, I couldn't possibly stay and live in Paris as long as my husband's alive. <laughs> yeah. And I think it comes back to all these subtle hints throughout the story, just like even with the comb, like she knew that the husband was going to have to have that. So she could have easily planned this in advance to sneak it out, hide it. And then he, you know, is so caught up in trying to provoke her and then she goes, all right, I know he's going to do this to me. Try to make me late and all. And all I have to do is pretend to flick my eye muscle. That'll give him the cue. He now has a subtle cue to go back in. And I can easily take him out of this equation. I mean, because she knows his routines. He's very predictable as she is predictable. And she's using that against the husband. Dahl describes mouths as the truth in this story so far, correct? Yes. So right when the chauffeur... With his Irish mouth, <laughs> he couldn't get into the house because why? He doesn't have the key, right? But who does have the key? Who's got the key to the story, the answer to the story? And that's going to be the wife, right? So she goes up there and she's listening. And we kind of have these subjective ideas of, well, did she really listen and hear for the elevator to get stuck? Or was she just listening to see if the husband was coming back soon? Dahl, again, does a subtle little hint where he describes his wife with, the little face was screwed up tight with anxiety. The lips pushed outward like a spout. So here again, the truth, her mouth is being pushed like a spout as if she's trying to come out with the truth that she knows that she wants to kill him and knows that this elevator is having problems and knows that the elevator is going to get stuck. 
between the second and third floors at this point in the story. And once she confirms it with the listening, again, very subtle hints from Dahl, that's when she takes off. She knew he wasn't going to write, so she had the alibi as to why she wasn't worried when she was gone for six weeks and her, her really inattentive husband wasn't writing her, right? This was all just very subtly crafted from these you know simple concepts of, of eyes being a secret wink. Oh, wait, the eyes. Let's come back to that. You'll notice mentioning of the eyes and the wink completely disappears at this point in the story. At no point is she worried about being late. At no point upon returning home and there's no car coming here and she's not worried about anything. Again, no mention of a wink or being late or anything like that because she already knows what's going on. So again, the secret wink, the absence of information here shows that she is most likely planning, has had planned this and was okay with her 30-year torturous husband <laughs> being stuck between the second and third floor as she went off to... Uh, Go to Paris because what was her goal? Her goal was to go to Paris and stay with her kids. And uh, this was how she could accomplish it in a very doll-esque twist at the end. Yeah, so I guess the end third of the story, you see this tonal shift where she's kind of all bent up and you have those keywords like anxiety and, you know, and, and she's always frustrated and flustered with her husband about this. But towards the end of the story, she no longer is. She's finally at peace because she knows she no longer has to deal with him at all. And there's even some subtle things like the, the grandfather clock is covered with the cover. There's dust on it in the same way that the grandfather, her husband, was just murdered and has kind of been buried away in the in the the lift to die for six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty brutal, but lots of symbolism all over this story that is just so subtle and it didn't it didn't hit you in the face. I feel like on a first read through that the second pass is where a lot of that is unlocked. So point of the story. Don't be a jerk to your wife or she'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe even gentle little meek housewives will turn and, and, and br brutally slay you, <laughs> letting you starve to death in your own elevator. All right. So starve be nice to death. People. That's got to go. Rough way to go. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to realize that, you know, Lamb to the Slaughter, this one, the landlady story, like, Doll loves having these old, meek little innocent women be the, the murderers in his story, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, who did he wrong that he's scared of? Oh, man, this old lady's going to come back and kill me one day because he mouthed off to her. Like, he's scared of his grandma or some maternal figure in his life. Or is it a wife that he couldn't mouth off to? I don't know. I, would, I know nothing about his personal life. That's, that's biography purview at that point. But yeah. uh, definitely an interesting piece from Dahl. Wonderful discussion piece with a very fun twist at the end. We'll leave a link. To, to all of our doll talks, this is, I don't know, one of their fifth or sixth doll story that we've covered. Crypto, let's move into our very subjective ratings, which are not an objective review or meant to talk about the quality, but just how did it hit us personally? What are you going to say about this one? I'm hard for rating this one because I did have to read it twice to kind of get it, like you said, because I didn't understand what happened. And I missed so many of those little nuances that were the foreshadowing for what was happening. And that tonal shift kind of threw me off at the end. I kind of want to give it like a five for my first read through and then a second, a seven for my second read through. But I think that this has a lot of good 
teachable moments for a classroom. If you're reading this in high school or even, you know, a beginner's, you know, freshman college course, you can really teach some symbolism and how subtle writing and foreshadowing can be used by an author that is really going to pull your reader in and deliver a great story and still have a twist in modern times when that's become very commonplace. Yeah, I think I just had a lot more fun with the story. I was laughing. The symbolism was really fun on a second pass through for me. So I'll go with an 8.5. I really enjoyed this one. Would definitely recommend it as a good starting place for Doll if you've never read a Doll story before. So with that said, guys, if you're looking for a conversational approach to literature like we do here today, hit that subscribe button to join us as we post videos every Monday and Thursday. Una out. Peace.